Hi, this is Tiffany Bova. Welcome to the What's Next podcast, where I have the absolute pleasure of welcoming Ron Tite to the show today. He is a best-selling author, entrepreneur, and investor. He's been named one of the top 10 creative Canadians and has been an award-winning advertising writer and creative director for some of the world's most respected brands. He is the founder of the agency Church and State. He has written for television, penned a children's book, wrote, produced, and performed a hit play, published an award-winning comedy book, created a branded art gallery. Like, I'm already exhausted. But the thing I know Ron for is his first book was Everyone's an Artist, or at least they should be, and his most recent one, Think, Do, Say, which just hit store shelves. So Ron, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Tiffany. Very much appreciated, uh, especially on the heels of such a busy schedule. You've been, you've been going hardcore. Yeah, well, you're right. You're right behind me. So, you know, it's, <laughs> it's not just about just not just about my my tight schedule. Um, but before we get started into our conversation, I like to kick off my podcast with something that everyone now loves called Bullish and Bearish. All right. Bullish is your for it. Bearish is you're not for it or against it. And, uh, you know, nothing too painful. So are you ready? I am ready. All right. The first one, bullish or bearish? Plant-based meat. I'm bullish. I'm bullish on plant-based meat. I try, and I love a steak, but I tried it and I thought it was pretty darn good. Yeah, I'm with you. And I haven't eaten meat in a long time. So I'm thrilled there's finally an alternative that, you know, doesn't taste like cardboard. So I'm with you on bullish. Yeah. All right. The next one, artificial intelligence generated jokes. Oh, I'm bearish. Bearish on that. <laughs> You're speaking to somebody who has 20 years experience as a stand-up comedian. Oh, I know. I, yeah. And I've <laughs> sat in too many coffee shops with a notebook in hand, looking out the window, looking for design, divine inspiration to write a, you know, a bit for that night to just hand it over to the machines. They never, no, they're going to screw it up. It's no horrible. Bearish, bearish, bearish. Okay. All righty. All right. The third one, children's books should be under everyone's holiday tree. Oh, I am very bullish on that. Okay. I, one of my favorite books of all time is uh, All the Places You'll Go, still to this day. Yeah. I have to say, you know, Green Eggs and Ham. Yeah. They're, 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 they're good. There's actually uh, all the places you would go. There's a great video from Burning Man that <laughs> recites that book. <laughs> yeah. That we're not going to talk about on this, but for those of you listening, like if you just <laughs> Google search Burning Man, all the places you will go, That's it's right. entertain. It's a really entertaining six minutes. So, <laughs> so, the, so children's books under the tree. Yes, shrooms. No. <laughs> <laughs> Check. <laughs> all right. So, uh, let's get started. You know, I, I, um, uh, I, I want to sort of lean into kind of how what got you to you know writing business books because as we just sort of alluded to, you've written children's books. You've been a you know, stand up for 20 years, like, and all of a sudden, right, you decide you want to marry all this together with something serious, which is, you know, I don't know. But yeah, let's talk about how you got there. Well, I always had dual life. I was always a creative director in, uh, you know, at a multinational ad agency, and I was doing stand up in clubs at nighttime. And the more that I advanced in each of those careers, I realized that there were just these incredible similarities between the two. I mean, the the basic premise behind stand up is that you know uh, a joke is 
is based on an insight. And you have an insight. And when an audience laughs and they respond with, you know, it's funny because it's true. Well, that is because the insight was sound and the insight was, was based in reality. But of course, the insight itself isn't what's funny. It's what you do with the insight. It's where you take the insight. It's how you extrapolate and exaggerate the insight. And so I saw that happening in that space and advertising being the exact same thing of getting people to react in a certain way has to be based on an insight, but it's the layer of creativity that you put on top of that. Now, when we move into the speaking world, this is kind of the third piece of the holy triumvirate, which is that uh, we, we have insights that we need to deliver to people that come with advice and perspective. But of course, it's the opposite. It's not you can't lead with the insight and put on a layer of creativity. You have to actually lead with the layer of creativity. You have to use humor to get people's attention. And once they're listening, it's the moment that follows the punchline. It's the silence that occurs after the laughter is the most important part. And that's where you can deliver the insight or the strategic message that you need people to hear. And so that, you know, when you put all those three things together, when you can combine the insights that come with a business consultant or with a, a brand person, along with the setup that can come from a unique humorous perspective um, and, uh, and the delivery of what would occur in a speech. Well, that makes a pretty interesting business book. And I, I don't know, I guess one that I wanted to write. Yeah. And, and what's great is, you know, I, I think you said a couple of things that I wanted to just lean into a little bit is, um, you know, telling jokes, it, 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 it's really about the art of telling a story, right? And, and storytelling. And, and if you're going to deliver really uncomfortable messages in some cases, right? Like you're meeting with executives and you need to tell them, yeah, probably what you're doing is not going to work or you're going to be out of business. You know, you've got the, the downside of some of the messages we have to deliver. You have to be able to get them to want to lean in and listen to what you have to say. And so being able to, to your point, humor may be a way you could do it, but at the, at the end of the day, it has to be that you're telling a compelling story and, and that's really the creative side of it. You know, something you said there, which I think was, is is such an interesting perspective where you talked about, you know, having those uncomfortable conversations with, with somebody in comedy, the closer you get to the line, whatever, whoever, you know, someone's line is of, of acceptable and appropriate humor, the closer you get to the line, the funnier it is. And the second you step over, oh, now you've crossed the line, it's too late, right? And in that the notion that you talked about of having uncomfortable conversations with people, the closer you get to the line of having an uncomfortable real conversation with a client or with a brand or with a senior executive, the more powerful that message is. But the second you cross over, you could be done. So you would never want to say to somebody, you should be fired for doing that. That crosses a line, you'd never get hired back. But if it's, you know what, I got to tell you, I don't think your business has a life after Q4. That's going to be really, really impactful, more impactful than I think we should look at the strategy of what you're doing for the next three years. You know, I think, so those two similarities, I think are really interesting about how close you can get to the line without going over. And I think, you you know, you're a firm believer in sort of seizing the attention, right? You've got to get them, you have to get their attention 
You have to kind of earn permission to communicate with them sometimes messages they don't want to hear in a way that gets them to want, well, get, you know, in a way that builds trust between you, the communicator, and them, the receiver, both, both directions, right? Yes. You know, we've spent the last, I'd say, 10 to 15 years, we being the marketing ecosystem. And and we've been talking about that, you know, I mean, how many times have we heard the average consumer sees 5,000 messages, advertising messages a day, and now they're getting ads on Instagram. You know, it's just, it's nonstop. And, and the, the, what has been ruling the conversation has been all about how do you get people's attention? How do you cut through the noise? How do you cut through the clutter? And that is certainly a part of it. But the follow-up to that is it's not just about standing out. Because if you want to do that, then you know what? Kick a puppy. You kick a puppy, you're going to stand out. People will hate you, justifiably. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's just a comedy. Yeah, I love that, That's I, I one of those dogs. lines. That's <laughs> one of those lines, Ron. Ron is just talking about kicking a puppy. That's probably over the line. So, all right. But going. that's going to get you attention, right? And that and that's not good attention. So it is not just about getting attention because there's a million different things you can do to get attention. But it is actually getting attention and sustaining attention. And how you do that is through trust and how you build trust is is a very different mechanism than in the one you used to capture their attention. Yeah. And, and so what, what would you say to, to listeners? You know, I, I think that to your point, you know, it's all these different touch points and it's, you know, all this noise and you got to give them this many messages. And, and it's really about just delivering kind of compelling content, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's almost, I'm going to use your words here and I'd love sure. to hear what you think, but it's like, if you're not curious enough, like you said, sitting at a window at a coffee shop, looking for inspiration outside for the joke you're going to tell in five hours, right? Like mm-hmm. you're looking for that inspiration. And if, and if you're trying to make hard decisions or you're a leader and communicating them or you're an individual contributor and you're trying to do better, like you have to have this level of curiosity, in order yeah. to sort of push through whatever it is. Yeah, it is, and you're right. It is a curiosity to make it better. It is a curiosity to to flip the script. It is a curiosity to see, well, what if I change this? What if I change that? Is this resonating with people? You know, it's a constant iterative process. This is why I was bearish on AI, you know, writing jokes, which is why I'm, I'm, I'm also bearish on AI producing creative for social platforms and on behalf of brands. And, and that is because... Um, I think there's a lot that AI can do very, very well and and can deliver exceptional experiences. But when we look at creativity, I think what's wrong with people, what business has done over the past five years of pursuing new platforms and existing on new platforms is that it's been all about the platform and it's been all about the media space. And, you know, a crappy band on A-Track is still a crappy band on Spotify. And if we don't actually invest in compelling content and creation um, that would let, I mean, let's please at least dedicate the same amount of time in creating uh, an interesting message than we do in creating the place that is going to exist. Um, You know, uh, we've also seen this, we're just going to, you know, crank on creative that can exist across multiple platforms. We're not going to do a heck of a lot to change it. Um, We're going to put it on automated assembly line. And look, I know that any great artist will tell you 
that they make way more money from the print than they do from the original. You can, because it's it's the original at scale. It's incredible. You can sell it to millions and millions of people. But the print, a successful print, only exists with a brilliant original. And I think we've jumped right to the print. I think we just to see like what do, what do people want in a really disposable fashion, and we haven't invested our time and our and our intelligence and our creativity in the original. That's where the real power lies. And so, if if someone's listening and goes, "Wow, I you know I never thought of it that way," like what, what? How do they step through that? What What are the things they can do to sort of find their way to to improving that? Well, one, I think we have to have a soul to what we do. We really do. You know, um, we, the expression I use a lot, and I didn't create it, I don't know who did, but the notion of pitch slapping and that, you know, it's so easy to pitch slap people. It's so easy to send a a copy-paste LinkedIn invite to a, a million different people where you pitch your product over and over and over again. And you justify it by saying, no, nah, but we got 0.6% conversion. And I yeah. put my hand up and say, yeah, but what about the thousands of innocent bystanders that you, <laughs> you, you just had a drive-by shooting of pitch slapping where you did not care on the effect that you had on those people? I mean, come on. It's Yes, it's really, really easy to send a million things out, but if, if 999,000 of them are destroying the people that are receiving them uh, right. or creating a, a negative uh, sentiment about you or your brand, then I'm sorry that you got to go back to the drawing board. So I think that's the first thing is that we have to have a soul to what we do and aspire to a higher order, to aspire to a, a, a better craft. I also think that we... Um, that if we are going to have the metrics conversation, that we're going to have to have the real metrics conversation and one that is a lot more accurate than the one we're currently having so that we can see the effect of uh, investing in creativity and compelling messages and what that really means. Yeah, and I, and I, I would say I'm going to make a sweeping assumption yet because uh, I'm not going to, um, you know... Uh, fib my listeners and say i've read your book because it just came out and i've had not five seconds yeah no no however yep however i'm going to make a huge assumption there that it that it that what you just finished saying has is a good foundation for think do say yes exactly you know the, the 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 summary of think do say for individuals and for brands is really quite simple it's that we know that the brands that are cutting through and building trust along the way. And the people who actually you trust and understand and want to listen to, they are based on what they think, what they do, and what they say. So the think side is, one, they believe in something more important. They actually believe in something that goes beyond the thing that they sell. Because let's face it, most of us are selling stuff that other people sell. You know, I mean, the, the very nature of retail is that you're curating products made by other people that other people can sell. So you have to believe in something that that uh, uh, that goes beyond that goes towards purpose and not product. The second thing is, but only think tanks and philosophers just believe. So we need to actually do something that reinforces that belief. And we can't just randomly do stuff, or else we're a sweatshop. 
which no one wants to work with a sweatshop. So you need to strategically align and focus your actions towards reinforcing the purpose based on who you do it for, what they want you to do, and who you do it with. And then the last part is, look, if as a brand or an organization, you believe in something more important and you consciously behave in a way with intent to reinforce that belief, that's worth talking about. Like it really is. But if it's worth talking about, then when why don't we talk about it in an interesting and compelling way and in a relevant way and in an authentic way so that as we're talking about the things that we do, we do build trust because the tone in which we're delivering that message. And that's how you cut through and that's how you build trust. And, you know, in today's market, there's so many surveys, you know, at a trust barometer, you know, our CEO says it as well from Salesforce, like that's just this crisis of trust, you know, whether it's, um, you know, from a technical standpoint, like, what are you doing with my data? Is there a breach? How do you handle it? Yep. You know, is it, it is it something happened and the executive doesn't just immediately come out and come clean on what happened, right? Or um, everything with, you know, that's gone on over the last couple of years with equality. And I mean, there's just, there's so many ways in which trust is eroding. Like how can brands uh, align themselves to to being more perceived as being a trusted brand, I guess, yeah. So the first part to your to your comment, yes, that even outside of business, if you look at the past 10 years of what the average consumer has experienced outside of their interaction with, you know, triplist, uh, you know, traditional capitalist society, what have they experienced? Oh, Lance Armstrong lied to our faces over and over and over again. Bill Cosby went from America's dad to America's predator. You know, uh, Cambridge Analytica stole our data. We had, uh, you know, every politician from all walks of life and size of the political spectrum abandoned family values. We had the Houston Astros caught stealing just two weeks ago. The world's best Fortnite player got uh, banned for life for cheating. And every possible, you know, uh, user-generated review site, whether it's, you know, a bestseller list or, a, you know, Yelp reviews or Amazon reviews can be bought and gamed. And so when we, when consumers go through all of that and a brand shows up and goes, just trust me, they don't. They just don't. And no surprise they don't. And when you as a salesperson with a clear sales bias goes in and says, trust me, I'm sorry, they just, they don't. So the first thing a brands need to do is realize that, that someone's automatic reaction is that they don't trust you. Right. And you need to take that into consideration for how you're delivering your message. And even saying things like, um, you're probably thinking this is too good to be true. Or you're probably thinking that, you know, there's no way this is right. Well, you know what? Here's some unbiased research, third-party research to show you that this is right. Um, so that's the first thing. Realize that they don't trust you. Secondly, you can't, in pursuing your purpose, you can't pursue stuff just because you think it's what everybody wants you to care about. So if you're a car manufacturer and you say that um, gender equality in the workforce is the, th is the thing that your corporate purpose is, well, that doesn't have to do that anything to do with what you sell. I mean, yes, of course, it's an absolutely critical issue that everybody needs to get behind, but it's not why you make cars. So don't chase a social issue or a social cause that has nothing to do with what you sell simply because you think it's what people want you to care for. Um, so that's on around uh, purpose. And then um, 
on the uh, on the do, of course, your actions need to solve problems. And so if your actions solve a problem for somebody, you actually make their life better. Man, it's amazing how much they trust you because you've been you've had their interests in mind by solving their problems, not your interests in mind by simply getting the sale. So solving problems can go a heck of a long way to building trust. And then on the say part, you know, authenticity is, um, I mean, it's a bit of a $2 word. I'll give you that. Uh, a lot of us are using this word. And here's what authenticity means to me. Authenticity is simply being comfortable with your imperfections. Because if you show up looking and acting and sounding like the stock photo version of what a insert your profession is here, you know, looks and acts and sound like, I'm not buying it. I'm just not. But if you if you if you at least are comfortable with your imperfections, that's what makes you real and that's what I buy. You know, an interesting metaphor there is um, you know, uh, for years I was executive creative director at a multinational agency and now we have creative directors here, but it used to be when we'd shoot a commercial, we would um fire the director or the DOP if they had a lens flare on the film. Whereas now we consciously put lens flares in and we consciously put them in because those slight imperfections help build trust because if it's too polished, it's too scripted. I'm not buying it. Yeah, no, well, there's a, I find it interesting. I'm going to go back for like a couple of minutes, right? When you first started talking about this, that I thought you'd say, and maybe you did, but I thought you'd say, well, first you have to understand what the brand stands for before you can sort of go externally and try to kind of ask permission to have trust that look, you got to trust that what I say is what I'm going to do, mm -hmm. you know? And, uh, and I think that's where I see the biggest opportunity is brands may not know what they actually stand for. Like they, yeah, they don't, purpose, right? Yeah, they, they you're right. And, and I think part of the problem with it is because the C-suite is standing up and thinking, oh, we've got our mission and vision. And therefore we wrote, you know, a buzzword bingo full card using all the latest jargon. And this is going to be the statement that's going to unify the masses and unite our people and inspire. It's not. It's just not. So it's one thing to know what you stand for. It's another to actually write it and communicate it in a way to your people so that they actually embrace it and understand it. I think that the C-suite is getting away with writing too much garbage and starting every, you know, offsite by going, let's take a look at it. Let's revision our mission statement. They don't know what, they don't even know what the difference between mission and vision is, let alone what the, what, how your mission statement uh, impacts their personal job. So totally agree with you. That is the first place to start. And, and do you think that um, that executives have to start internally to build trust before they go out externally to ask for trust or do both at the same time? No, I think you need to start internally um, because, uh, I mean, you can, you can do it uh, simultaneously if you're transparent externally about doing it, right? Like if you're like, hey... We've got a big, you know, the age old example is pizza makeover. This is like, look, we're turning this company around. We're changing the recipe of the pizza. Um, and that was an external message. So those two habits were, those two behaviors were happening simultaneously. Far too often, though, the external message isn't that. The external message is some polished version of what you think people want to hear about trustworthy messages, even though you haven't done the work. So, no, I think in most cases, start internally. 
uh, build it with your people first, and then uh, and then that will be a great reflection because often the trust isn't built through the external messaging. The trust is delivered through the experiences your clients and consumers have with you. Those experiences are dictated by the and your employees, right? And, and yeah, your, yeah, 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 yeah. But 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 to your end goal of selling stuff, like your employees are going to deliver the experience. And so if they don't trust you, there's no way they're going to deliver an experience which leads to a trustworthy relationship. Right, right. Well, and, and I think that there's so much to be said there, you know, from uh, for marketers listening or salespeople listening. And, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you a little bit on the spot here because I know that a lot of the work that you've done has been creative. It's been very sort of marketing driven, right? Brand driven. Yeah. And what would be, you know, uh, the recommendation for the, you know, the people who, you know, are in the front lines dealing with customers. So it could be the actual salesperson online or in person or the customer service agent, right? Because they're sort of the, the gladiators of the brand, right? They're the ones that are in the trenches uh, communicating with customers every day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they, they have to hold the, they have to hold the fort down. Yeah, I've done a lot of work with frontline employees. I've I go out. I, I probably did ten events last year for a uh, using a business in Western Canada where I went in and spoke directly to people who pump gas, who are grocery store cashiers, deli clerks, butchers, and the first thing that it's important for those people to realize is the power that they have that the the experience of that organization delivers is often in their hands. At grocery store cashier, you are the last experience that somebody yes. has before yes. they leave the, the establishment. Yes. And so th- then it comes down to what do, what do you want to do with your life? Do you want to take that responsibility and deliver it in a meaningful way so that you're fulfilled because you're actually contributing? You not only belong to something greater, but you actually play a significant role. Or do you want to call it in? Do you just want to take the easy way out and not deliver on it because you think your role is inconsequential? And I, I mean, you know, I get that some people need a paycheck, but I also think if you're going to be there, isn't it more fulfilling to actually be a part of something greater and play a role? I think it is. And when you remind people that and the joy that they experience in delivering on the promise that everybody else in the organization has delivered, I think it becomes a way more meaningful experience for them. I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And I think that there's so much more that you could, you know, we could unpack in this conversation, but, uh, you know, I want to make sure that we direct people to, you know, where they can get additional information on this topic. Cause I think it's really important. I think understanding sort of what your brand stands for, the difference between vision, you know, and values and how you communicate that build trust internally, externally, like, you know, yeah. there's so much there. Right. And, I, and it, it's really, really easy to say on a 25 minute podcast, like, Oh, just do this. Um, but it's really tough. So, you know, how could people uh, continue to learn more about your work and, um, you know, follow what you're doing? Because I, uh, I, I want to just hit one last thing, um, before we, we wrap up, which is your, your final podcast is, is, uh, you know, really interesting. So why don't you tell people what it's called and, and how they can, um, how they can tune into that. Yeah. So, um, you know, under the notion of think to say, well, you know, what do they want you to do? And that we look at the real disruptors in a lot of categories that are the ones who are solving the problems the establishment can't or won't. And what we're seeing across not just business, 
but in culture is that the establishment is being taken out by insurgent forces. And um, so we did a, 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 a season one of a podcast. We're starting to develop season two now, but season one is uh, almost fully out and it's called The Coup. And um, so it looks at business disruption through the lens of a political coup d'etat and how the establishment in business and music and comedy and finance are all being taken out by by people nipping at their heels. And uh, again, through that lens of kind of insurgent forces beheading the establishment, or at least just making life really uncomfortable. And you can get that podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Fantastic. All right. And so what's next for you? What's next for you, Ron? So, you know, we're coming to a close of a year, about to start another year. What What's next for you in 2020 that people can look forward to hearing about from you? Well, the first thing is that my wife and I are, are expecting our second child in March. So that is going to Congratulations. have a, thank you, a significant impact on everything. Um, but uh, the, we will be working on season two of The Coup. Uh, and um, yeah, I'll be, I, I, every speech I give has something called The New Two. I always have two new minutes, at least I've never done before. And so I'm just constantly thinking and writing and speaking. And uh, that's what's up. Yeah. Well, excellent. Excellent. Well, you know, thank you so much, Ron, for spending time with us today on the What's Next podcast. I know you're equally busy and this is a wrap to your year as well. So, you know, thank you. We we originally met at The Art Of many years ago. We just yeah. bumped into each other again in Canada um, a few weeks ago. And so I, I'm glad that we got the opportunity to have this conversation over coffee in front of, you know, all of the listeners. <laughs> Th- yes. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you, Ron. What a fun conversation with Ron. Such a pleasure. What a great way to look at how you build brands, right? Humors, transparency, building trust. But really, it's about seizing the attention of your audience and your customers. Start with your employees, work outside, build that trust, and make sure you always stay curious about your craft. Whatever it is, frontline, leader, middle manager, doesn't matter. Make sure you have the passion and it shows through in everything that you do every day. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Ron as much as I did. Thank you for tuning in to the What's Next podcast. Please make sure you subscribe, share with your friends, and let me know what you think on social. Thanks a lot for spending a little bit of time with me today.